Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Are you okay with romantic relationships at work? New password charges are coming to Netflix. There's also new pop can tax on the way. Should the feds investigate Loblaw for alleged greedflation? And the Chiefs and Rihanna steal the spotlight at the Super Bowl. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. I've decided that I will step down as mayor so that I can take the time to reflect on my mistakes and to do the work of rebuilding the trust of my family. I'll be working with the city manager, city clerk, and the deputy mayor, Jennifer McKelvey, to ensure an orderly transition in the coming days. Explosive news conference Friday night in Toronto is John Tory announcing his resignation as the mayor of that city after admitting he had an inappropriate relationship with a now former staffer. It is a story that has many layers to it and many big ramifications and dominoes that are about to fall. Kim Wright is the founder and principal of Wright Strategies and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kim, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, and I'm not sure this is quite the Valentine's week that uh, John Tory or many of us thought we'd be having the conversation about, but here we are. Just when we all thought things at Toronto City Hall were running somewhat smoothly comes Friday night. Um, what a shocker this was. Yeah, so we had been starting to hear rumors about uh, the story coming out and you know, uh, John Tory and his advisors uh, and his family uh, tried to sort out what they should do or shouldn't do. Uh, but it was pretty clear by the time that you're doing an 8.30 on a Friday night press conference, uh, the, re- the resignation was uh, was clearly uh, coming to, uh, to a head. So what happens now with the mayor's seat and with the budget in which uh, Tory had his hands all over? Maybe we'll start with what, what happens now with the next leader. So in the interim, uh, once John Tory officially resigns his seat, and that is then declared vacant by Toronto City Council, uh, the deputy mayor, Jennifer McKelvey, uh, will uh, take over as the acting, essentially the acting mayor, until such time as the by-election can be held and a nomination period and all of that will have to be set. But as you rightly point out, on this upcoming Wednesday uh, is the City of Toronto budget debate and it is, for the first time ever, actually the mayor's budget. Uh, so uh, under the new strong mayor powers, it is his budget. He has presented it. He has crafted it based on input. And council was to deba- is to debate that budget on Wednesday. Uh, very interesting, uh, for sure. When it comes to a by-election, what are some of the names that you're hearing that are contemplating running? So we're certainly hearing names like City Councillor Brad Bradford. Uh, we are looking at potentially uh, City Councillor Josh Matlow uh, from outside or more somewhat recently off of Toronto City Council, uh, former Deputy Mayor Anna Balau, uh, certainly former Councillor Mike Layton is uh, in the mix in the conversation, as well as we're hearing some provincial folks. Uh, Stan Show and Mitzi Hunter being names that are, and uh, former uh, uh, MPP and now MP Michael Cotto are names that we're hearing, but we're still looking to see, Rick, what are the rules? Who will have to resign their existing seats uh, if they run uh, for for the mayor's job? Kim Wright joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kim is the founder and principal of Wright Strategies. Uh, there is another Michael that could potentially make a run uh, because we're hearing some noise about Premier Doug Ford's nephew, Michael, about possibly running for the mayor's seat. Is this likely? 
I don't know that it's likely, but, you know, if you had asked anyone two weeks ago whether John Tory would have resigned in a sex scandal, probably not the <laughs> part you would have on the bingo card. So in Toronto, any at Toronto City Hall, anything is possible. One of the interesting things about uh, now Minister Ford was he was a, a very well-regarded counselor uh, around the clamshell, as, as we call Toronto City Hall. But it's interesting, his voting pattern isn't, uh, when he was a counselor, isn't exactly what Ford Nation is known for. So he's going to have to reconcile that uh, with his with his uncle slash boss and premier. Back to John Tory, how much of a hit does his legacy take after all this? It's decimated at this point. Um, you know, John Tory has continued to have lots of comebacks and, you know, that that is part of it. Uh, but I would also say he has not only destroyed his legacy, uh, he has certainly harmed this woman's reputation uh, and her professional going forward, but also thinking about the people who are personally and professionally impacted by uh, this act by John Tory, this ongoing act by John Tory, and what does that mean for their own prospects going forward? And, uh, you know, it, it was interesting, and I'll say this, I was I was in church yesterday morning, and one of those uh, prayers for the people was actually for those who are professionally and personally impacted by this, and there are a lot of them, including all of the people who work uh, for Mayor Tory, and who have worked uh, so hard on getting him elected and to, to see that all thrown away in this manner uh, at this time. When it comes down to the by-election, it has to be called, I think it's 60 days or it has to be held 60 days after Mr. Tory announces his resignation. Is there any inside info that you have on when this could potentially happen? It could happen as early as May. So they have, they will declare the seat vacant. Then they have a nomination period and then they have the by-election. Um, to allow people to, you know, get their campaigns up and operational. It could come, as I said, as early as May. Uh, probably May, June is where we're looking at this stage. And is it more than likely that Toronto voters are going to try to find someone similar to John Tory? It, they're looking for people with a vision right now. The The common thread that I'm hearing for people who are engaged in politics and people who have not been engaged in politics is that things are getting worse here. The homelessness issue, uh, what we're seeing on the TTC, the increasing crime rates, uh, all of these things all have landed at the feet of John Tory. And so beyond this sex scandal, his polling numbers were already starting to tank because council had not been dealing with uh, these big issues in a meaningful way. So Torontonians are really looking for someone with vision and who can move quickly uh, into this process to fix these big, big city issues. Last one, we only got about 45 seconds. For those who were against strong mayor powers, do they not jump at this opportunity or they say, you know what, this is an opportunity, let me go for it? I think what you're going to see is the strong mayor powers are what they are. Uh, and what I will encourage people to do if they are serious about running for mayor of Toronto is to at least watch a city council meeting before they put their name on the line. Uh, too many people come in and think this is like the province or like the federal government. And it is a very different place with very different issues and a bigger budget than many provinces. So it's a complicated place and they should at least understand that before they put their uh, name on the ballot. Great breakdown from Kim Wright, founder and principal Wright Strategies. Kim, thanks for your time as always. 
Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Netflix viewers singing this song loud and proud. Why? Well, that's because the streaming service is introducing some new charges for extra passwords. So the way it's going to work is, uh, whatever you pay per month, you can watch on two devices at the same time. But they have to be in the same physical location. If you want to watch your favorite show on Netflix in two different locations, you're going to be paying an extra $8 a month. Is this okay with you? Many people saying, eh, I don't think so. Jay Rosenthal is the co-host of The Peak Daily. Uh, you can get more information online at readthepeak.com. And Jay joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jay, good morning. How are you? Thanks for having me. Feeling well. Thanks. What the heck is Netflix doing? You know, this breaks down to me. There's probably three different views on it, maybe more. One, you are the sharer or the sherry or the shareholder. And I think where you stand in that realm probably depends on how you feel about this. As a sharer, you're probably nonplussed. I mean, someone else using my password, that's one thing. As the sharee, you're looking at some, you know, you got to start paying for Netflix. And as a shareholder, I think you're probably pretty psyched about it because, um, you know, you want more people subscribing to Netflix um, and not using it for free because you're paying for all this content from a Netflix. From a from a business perspective, you want people actually paying for it from a consumer perspective. So I think there's probably three or more different views on this. Um, I think the most vocal are the sherries who actually aren't paying for it now, but are going to have to. <laughs> uh, is there any guesstimate as to how many potential, I'm assuming hundreds of millions of dollars is on the table here? I, I do not know, but Netflix certainly feels like there's a lot of money on the table that they hope to recoup that they're not getting now. And I think the people who are most vocal about sort of canceling Netflix are probably the people that actually aren't paying for it right now. Uh, I don't know who would cancel it because now my kids who are in a different location can't actually log in for free. Right. doesn't make a ton of sense. And I'm old enough to remember, Rick, that uh, used to get two or three DVDs mailed to you from Netflix, right? So this is yeah. like this company we feel very close to over time. And I, I just don't think a ton of people are going to cancel. I think there's probably many more people that are going to re-up or add the $8 a month to get more uh, more passwords. That's my sense. What if you went on a family vacation and you all go to, I don't know, whatever the, whatever the case is, will you have to pay to watch Netflix there? Apparently, there's a carve-out for things like that. Okay. And I don't know, uh, in a lot of hotels, you actually get to log into Netflix from your TV. And it sounds to me like that is sort of an exception to this, like you actually can do that. So I guess we'll see how it all shakes out. And if certainly there'll be some unhappy people. But, I, you know, we are, you know, I live in Canada. I have Netflix. When I'm in the States, it's actually a slightly different Netflix. You can't get everything here that you can there and vice versa. So as you travel, Netflix changes already. So I think people will start getting used to it. And I'd also like to add, I mean, I don't know if you're on Spotify. Um, but, you know, Spotify started this from the get-go. You can't really share a Spotify account mm -hmm. and play two things at the same time. It sort of kicks you off. I only know this because I end up listening to Taylor Swift all the time because my daughter is always on our <laughs> Spotify. Right. So, like, this is pretty well established in maybe other platforms. And Netflix is bringing it to sort of streaming video. Um but I think the other streaming services, Disney, Amazon, are probably pretty psyched that Netflix went first because I don't think they want it to be first, but they definitely don't want to be last. I think you'll see much more of this crackdown on sort of password sharing on streaming platforms. Jay Rosenthal is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Jay is the co-host of The Peak Daily. You can find them online, readthepeak.com. Hear them every day, weekdays here on CHML at 727 and 427 a.m. and p.m. respectively. Some people, as we know, have cut the cord, will some, based on this news, cut Netflix out of its streaming favorites because they already have Amazon Prime and Disney Plus and Apple TV and yada, yada, yada. 
honestly, if you are really into the Netflix content, and it's pretty good. I mean, I'm I'm scrolling it right now. You know, they have Seinfeld. They have The Office. They got great movies. They have The Oceans, I don't know, 11, 12, 13, and 8. Like, these are things people want to watch, and they they are really good at content. It's what they do, both their own produced and things they bring to it. I think if this makes you so angry, you're going to cancel. I'm not sure Netflix is going to complain on you for a very long time anyway. So I think this is sort of right-sizing their business to um, only paying customers or paying customers plus one or two other people, as opposed to paying customers plus, you know, 10 passwords shared all over the world. So I think we will see, um, my sense is, subscriptions may go down slightly, but the value of those subscriptions will be um, much better for, for Netflix. Well, because viewers are going to, you know, especially those who have cut the cord completely, are going to pick and choose what they want if they don't see the value in what Netflix is delivering, they're going to say, you know what, we'll just cut them out um, entirely or just reduce their package. Yeah, I, I think that's that's probably true. And maybe Netflix is sort of forcing that issue, but it's get it better to sort of wipe those people off your books now than later. Is my sense, do it in one fell swoop so people are sort of expecting it. Certainly analysts that cover Netflix might be expecting it and sort of take that hit in one fell swoop as opposed to uh, over time. But But I think, look, if you are really, if you've cut the cord, Right. And you have Netflix, Amazon, Crave, you know, a TSN package, like all those things. Like, I'm not sure what pushes you over that to cancel one. I'm not sure it's the password sharing. It's much more likely to be the content. So if the content is awful, people will cancel. I'm not 100% sure tons of people will cancel because of this. They may see an increase in subscriptions because people now want it because they've become, you know, pretty hooked on it. So I, I just think it'll be interesting to watch it shake out. And as interesting as you and I are in what's happening now, you know, I think, you know, Amazon and Crave and Disney Plus, they're probably super interested to watch the fallout from this. Um, again, each of them with their really niche content that is specific to audience. And full disclosure, like I subscribe to all of them. Like I, I have no idea what would make me want to cut Netflix, TSN, Crave, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus. Like I don't know. Like have you thought about it? What would make you leave one of these platforms? Yeah, it comes down to the content of uh, the content and price. You know, if the if I'm looking at the content, thinking is it worth that much? Can I get something better for? Uh, a similar or lower price somewhere else, I'll probably gravitate to that. I'm not sure most people would, but uh, that's just my thought. We'll have to leave it there, Jay. Really appreciate your thoughts on this, and uh, we'll touch base down the road. Awesome. That's Jay Rosenthal, the co-host of The Peak Daily. Find them online, readthepeak.com. You can hear them weekday mornings at 727, weekday afternoons at 427, right here on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Seems nowadays uh, money is flowing out of our wallets, out of our purses, out of our pocketbooks, out of our bank accounts uh, much more quickly than ever before. Inflation, high food prices, you know the drill by now. Well, um, just when you thought you were saying no moss, no more, comes news of a new recycling fee on things like pop cans and other beverages um, as of April, April 1st is what we're hearing. And uh, apparently that's no April Fool's Day joke. Uh, Marvin Ryder is a professor in the DeGroot School of Business at McMaster University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as we look into this story. Marvin, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm glad to be with you today. As if our grocery bills weren't high enough, as I said, starting April 1st, we're expecting to pay between one and three cents per non-alcoholic container. Uh, what do you make of all this? Well, well, Rick, first, if you don't mind, let me just go back to this story. Uh, this broke on Friday, and it's a release of a document by the Toronto Star. The Toronto Star found this document 
Curiously, the provincial government has had no comment about this. And so I, I, I don't mean to say that this is going to happen on April 1st. It could happen, but I'd sure love to have some government confirmation on this. Now, the theory is that for many years, uh, municipalities have been uh, complaining that the cost of doing recycling is not offset by the money they get from selling the recyclables. In other words, the paper they gather, the plastic they gather, the metal they gather, the municipalities sell, and the idea was to recover the cost of running the program, but has always come up short. So rather than dipping into taxpayer dollars, at least of the municipal kind, they wanted the provincial government to give them some subsidy for doing something good and green and environmentally friendly. It appears this document is a response to that in which the government is saying, okay, let's turn to the beverage producers themselves and say, oh, all right, whether it's a, a, a bottled water company or a soda company or, or whoever puts something in a can or a bottle, look, uh, uh, this is your problem. You need to find a way to get this to come back. And their response has been, sure, we'll, we'll do that as long as we can tack on a fee. One cent for a can, two cents for a standard size bottle, three cents for anything that's left over, uh, and that will start on April 1st. This is a real surprise to all of us. There had been no chatter, but no review. And and uh, I am a little surprised at it. My best bet was that if they were going to do something, it would be a refundable deposit. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I am old enough to remember where once upon a time I would buy a soft drink in a glass bottle, but be charged five cents for the bottle. If I returned it, I got my deposit back. And that strikes me as a better way to do this than this one-time fee. But we've heard nothing from the government to d confirm or deny it. Well, yeah, the the deposit return system, as you describe, is what we use now. I mean, we return our alcoholic containers to the beer store, and we get that money back, wh whatever the case is, whether it's a, a bottle or, or uh, cans. Um, this levy, whether it's one or two or three cents, is really not going to, I think, entice people to recycle that container because they've spent a penny on it. <laughs> right. Well, the, of course, the idea is from the beverage industry, this is just a revenue stream. This is, we call it a tax. I don't think that's the wrong word for it. But we'll take that revenue and that will help fund our attempt to redo the, the recycling programs. Now, again, according to this document, as part of the quid pro quo, the beverage industry is going to establish many, many more public recycling places, in other words, cans and other things on the street where you can put your recyclable containers, and they'll now take this responsibility away, take it away from the municipalities, and they'll be the ones responsible for doing it. It just, it seems to me this is such a dramatic change, not just in terms of the tax, but in terms of the whole system itself that we've gotten used to, the whole blue box recycling system. Uh, I would love to have a little more discussion because April 1st is less than two months from now. <laughs> Marvin Ryder is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mr. Ryder is a professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University, and we're talking about this proposed uh, pop can tax, for lack of a better term, a tax, a levy on uh, cans and bottled beverages that is apparently coming on April the 1st. Marvin, how is this going to potentially impact the marketplace? Well, it comes at a bad time. You know, uh, uh, as we all know, we've been trying to fight inflation. Uh, in fact, later this week, we're going to get the inflation data for January. Again, the hope is that inflation has now dropped below 6% as we head towards that sort of 2 two to 3% target from the Bank of Canada. 
we just don't need any additional taxes or fees at this time. Um, uh, and so I, I think consumers are going to be very, very upset with it. Uh, and so this is, again, why I'm wondering if maybe why the government hasn't responded is they were caught flat-footed. This is a discussion document more than an implementation document, uh, and maybe they'll wait for a better time. But I guess, again, the bottom line is our current recycling system isn't working as well as it should. A lot of things don't get in the recycling bucket, and the municipalities have a cost. That comes out of taxpayer dollars. If we're swapping one for another, uh, we have to debate the merits of which system is the more efficient. Is there any chance that some of these beverage companies will swallow the cost, or will retailers swallow any of that cost? Well, I, this is, again, a great question, Rick. Uh, at one cent a can or two cents for a, a plastic bottle, is it even really worth collecting? Now, the theory here was like the uh, green tax that at one time a liberal government, provincial liberal government, had put on things like batteries, what have you. It would show up on your bill so you could see the money you were spending. This will require a change to the way cash registers work and the way they print your bills, what have you. That's not a a free cost either. Uh, and so it is conceivable that if it is a sort of a nuisance cost, uh, maybe, maybe the retailers would absorb it on the other side. Again, it's come out of the blue so quickly with no discussion. You know, we can speculate any which way you want. I, I think that would make sense. But again, I, I just don't know how likely it is. Well, we'll continue to follow the story. Marvin, thank you for your insight into it. Bless your heart. Thank you. Marvin Ryder is a professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. From a recycling standpoint, uh, this is going to have a negligible impact on recycling. You know, you're going to buy a case of, let's just say, Pepsi, Coke, whatever the case is, and you are going to spend one cent more per can. Is that going to be enticing enough for you to say, I, ha I must recycle this can to get my one penny worth? I just don't see it. I don't see it at all. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Down to your favorite grocery store to stock up on stuff to make for Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, you felt the pain, I'm sure. I'm sure you've adjusted the monthly or weekly grocery budget. It has been busted in many households. I don't mean to chuckle, but I mean, what else can you do other than complain? Well, some people are, and some people are trying to make a little bit more noise to get the attention of the federal government. So much so that there is a petition on change.org, which has the signatures of more than 36,000 people now, calling on the feds to investigate Loblaw Company for greedflation, for profiteering on the pandemic. Grocery Giant recently, as you know, ended its three-month price freeze on no-name products. And, uh, well, the hurt is is continuing for many grocery shoppers. Haroon Ali is the organizer of this petition on Change.org and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Har Haroon, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? Not too bad. Why did you feel the need to launch this petition? Yeah, uh, I'm a community organizer here in Edmonton. And I, I'm also a former Loblaws employee, and a lot of folks right now, especially in the community, are struggling to afford meals. Throughout this, throughout this thing, it's been in, it's been incredibly saddening to see all the comments on the Change Org petition and the and the emails that I've been receiving from folks, especially folks on fixed incomes like seniors and folks on uh, living in, uh, what's called on uh, what's called income supports that are telling me that their income stays the same but prices go up. So every single month that it's becoming harder and harder to afford to eat. 
And it, it's problematic. And the bigger issue that I have with uh, Galen Weston Jr. and Loblaws is a matter of fact that they own a grocery store within 10 kilometers and 90% of Canadians. They've been able to gain such a significant market control to the point where you can't go across the street without seeing, especially in most shopping complexes, without seeing a Loblaw-owned store. Being a former Loblaw employee, you will uh, probably have already heard this, that some people are thinking, oh, you're just vengeful against your former employer. Yeah, well, to be frank, you know, I mean, I, I'm not vengeful. I'm not vengeful against Loblaws companies. It was it was a part time job while I was in high school. Uh, more or less, what I'm concerned about is is that I, I'm concerned that folks are sh- quite literally struggling to eat, while Galen Weston Jr. has was continuing to make record profits. And as a matter of fact, while robbing his workers of a two dollar an hour hero pay, he was making over five million dollars. You know, I mean, it's tone deaf decisions like that that make people wonder what what really is happening behind Loblaws. The uh, main thrust behind this petition, again, you can find it on change.org, and it has more than 36,000 signatories uh, on it as of this morning. You want the federal government to investigate Loblaw Company. What do you want them to look at? Yeah, specifically what I want them to look at is I want them to look at their pricing practices. I want them to look at, I also, more or less, Loblaw Companies is a great example for, I believe, for a case study for the first, for just in general for grocery stores to specifically look into how they were profit, how they're creating profit throughout the pandemic to specifically create regulations to prevent price gouging. An economist actually gave a really good example of if I'm a supplier and I sell you an item for, and I sell a grocer an item for a dollar. And the grocer has a policy for a markup for a dollar fifty uh, to for a hundred percent markup. Uh, and if this and and if so, essentially they're going to sell it to the consumer for two dollars, right? If I'm the supplier and I come back come to the grocer and I'm like, I'm going to have to increase prices by zero point fifty cents, and the uh, the grocer is like, okay, my policy is a hundred percent markup, so I'm now going to sell this item for three dollars. That that zero point fifty cents in profit that the grocer is making by doing absolutely nothing is the exact definition of what activists are calling greedflation. There's absolutely no need. There's no economic need for them to increase their thing. The only reason why they're doing it is because they can to increase their profit margins, not margins, the profit general over. And that's why I think is being seen reflected in their. Um, corporate statements as we see that they're claiming that margins are staying the same, but that their corporate profits are rising. Arun Ali is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, the organizer of this petition on change.org, calling on the federal government to investigate Loblaw Company for uh, alleged greedflation. You also have a parliamentary petition that is um, going, uh, going, I guess, through the House of Commons. How is this working? Yeah, this is working quite good. Uh, what's called uh, our local MP uh, Blake Desjardins has been phenomenal with this. Uh, I hope this uh, the petition has reached over the five hundred uh, signatures that are required for certification. Um, so it will be going through the House of Commons process. Uh, it will be read in Parliament, and then the government of Canada, most likely the Minister of Finance, will have an opportunity to respond to my to my push for legislation. And then from there, hopefully, I, we're able to continue to build momentum to make sure that we can see this through, to make sure that we can see legislation that will ensure that Canadians are not being robbed at the, at the checkout line. Arun, we'll continue to follow this story. Thanks for uh, adding some insight and explaining your petition on change.org. Good luck.
Yeah, thanks so much. Have a good day. You too. Harun Ali is the organizer of this petition. Again, you can find it on change.org, asking the feds to investigate Loblaw Company for alleged greedflation, profiteering during the pandemic. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Mahomes looking that way, throwing that way. Chelsea got it. Touchdown. Quick throw. Tony's got it. Tony walks in. Touchdown, Kansas City. Blitz coming, Mahomes, man wide open, touchdown Chiefs at Skymore. Kansas City winning Super Bowl 57, 38-35 over the Philadelphia Eagles. What a show it was, top to bottom. And someone who was there, familiar voice, was at State Farm Stadium in Zona to watch the Chiefs and the Eagles. His name is Greg Brady, host of Toronto Today on Sister Station 640 Toronto. Greg, thanks for waking up with us here on Good Morning Hamilton. I'm still at the stadium. I'm waiting for a ride. Do you know any... um, do you know any Uber drivers in Arizona? It's hard to, I, I it's, can't it's not help ama- you. It's not a huge city, Rick. It's not easy to get a lift here. <laughs> Greg, take us in and around State Farm Stadium last night. What is it like being at the Super Bowl? Um, it it all moves so fast. It really does. It's uh, you know you've been to big sporting events before, and and there's something about the clock uh, moving a little faster on the field, off the field, in the pregame. Like an hour and a half before the game, you glance at the clock, and you're even thinking, well, I've got time to do this, and I've got time to make sure I've got something to eat, and I've got enough you know beverages in case I start coughing during the broadcast, and you don't, and and so whatever time you think you have, you have less time, but. It was really something, and and I think we rarely see fan bases that are very, very happy uh, and not desperate and nervous. Both teams have won a Super Bowl prior to that game last night in the last five years, and that's really rare. Um, when the Eagles, I went to Minneapolis when the Eagles first went, and they haven't they hadn't been since two thousand and and four with that that Donovan McNabb Terrell Owens team. So. Um, I think this was meant to be the continuation of things for the Eagles and the Chiefs. And there were more Philadelphia fans for certain there last night. And um, and I dare say they went home quite disappointed, given it, it, it looked it looked really good at halftime for Philadelphia. Speaking of halftime, Patrick Mahomes hobbles to the locker room at halftime. The Eagles are up by 10 at that point. What was going through your mind? Well, I thought they were in big trouble. And I thought the first drive in the third quarter was going to tell us a lot about how Kansas City was. But... You know, we did. We just did this three weeks ago with the Chiefs playing Jacksonville in their first playoff game, and uh, and and we sort of counted Patrick Mahomes out. Now, admittedly, in that game, he missed uh, a bunch of time, and the backup quarterback Chad Henney had to come in and and let a touchdown drive. But w- Mahomes was a totally different force once he got back in the game. I, I was worried that the re-injury, and you could see his face on the sideline, his eyes are rolling skyward. He put his head on the shoulder of the quarterback's coach next to him, um, you know, almost in um, not in agony and in pain, but in in absolute frustration that he thought his Super Bowl might be over. But he found his way back. And um, Rick was just brilliant in the second half. I mean, the Chiefs never punted in the second half. And and I, I wouldn't have predicted that with him coming out. So we've all learned some great lessons not to bet against Patrick Mahomes. And there he is. He's, he's the second youngest quarterback ever to win two Super Bowls. And the the youngest uh, to do it at the time, um, ended up winning seven of them. So we've got something going on here. We're recapping Super Bowl 57 on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML with Greg Brady, the host of Toronto Today on Sister Station 640 Toronto. Aside from the action on the field, there was a lot of buzz and negative buzz about the field itself. What was going on with the turf at State Farm Stadium? 
it seemed okay in the first half, and this is natural grass that they truck out, and they're able to get some sunshine. The the, the it's a retractable roof stadium um, at State Farm, and and I didn't notice as much slippage as I thought I would until the second half, and then clearly. Um, players getting footing. Jalen Hurts, it was well-documented, changed his cleats from the first quarter to the second quarter. So I don't know if they overwatered it. It hasn't rained since I've been here, and that's been since Thursday Thursday in the afternoon. So either they either they over-treated the grass to some extent um, or uh, or it's just one of those things. But, yeah, it, it ended up they had to do a lot of work. And I, I think that in a normal circumstance with no major halftime show for 25 minutes, they'd have spent a lot of time sort of patching things up, but they didn't get that time. I mean, the time is chop, chop, get the halftime set onto the stage and then get get it off in a hurry so that they can play the third quarter. There's not a moment to really work on repairing the turf. So we did see some slippage, especially in the start of the third quarter. Got a minute with Greg Brady, the host of Toronto Today on Sister Station 640 Toronto. He was at Super Bowl 57 last night in Arizona. Got to ask, did you lock eyes with Rihanna? <laughs> just on the jumbotron I, it's one of those things I, I sometimes we've been to a couple parties afterwards and you spot some of the halftime performers but i thought she came across really confident i like that she did her own stuff there weren't any random guest appearances I, I remember thinking that when coldplay did their halftime out in santa clara we were there and we thought well we'll just do you know that you were hired to do this yourself and now you've brought on beyonce and bruno mars and all these guests would like you can handle this and and rihanna was very very understated, I thought. I, I've heard some criticism of it, um, but I thought she just did the stuff that she did best. Um, she is not, you know, it's not a Beyonce or a Madonna in terms of a, a dramatic performer that doesn't have to be a story behind each song. She just came out and played what was, what she was comfortable with. And now the speculation's already started as to who plays next year in Las Vegas. Uh, Frank Sinatra's out of the question, Rick. I, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It's uh, it's not going to happen. Unfortunately, Celine Dion is probably too, and that would have been a nice one. But uh, we got to leave it there. Greg, appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, Rick, anytime. Thanks so much for calling. Greg Brady, host of Toronto Today, Sister Station 640 Toronto. And uh, I thought that uh, Rihanna, you know, good halftime show, solid performance. I thought she was upstaged by the stage. And if you didn't see it, well, you'll probably get what I'm talking about when you check it out. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. As all day, now some rushers come. Going to throw it as far as his arm can take it, which is well short. And the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57. It was a phenomenal game, top to bottom. Pretty cool halftime show, wonderful post game, fireworks as well. And when it was all said and done, Kansas City winning their second Super Bowl in four years, third as a franchise, beating the Philadelphia Eagles 38 to 35. To recap, all the great stuff that went down last night, Jacob Kamenker is a senior content producer with the Sporting News and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Jacob, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Rick. How are you? I'm good. If you told me before the game that Patrick Mahomes would be held to 182 passing yards and Jalen Hurts would throw for 304 and generate four touchdowns, I would have said, well, the Eagles are winning this game. Uh, that's not what happened. No, not at all. I think a lot of people would have had the same reaction as you if they heard those stats. Uh, what it goes to show you is that Patrick Mahomes was important in the game, and but more important than anything else is that he was efficient. He didn't make any negative plays. 
He had no turnovers. He didn't take any sacks against one of the best pass rushes in recent NFL history. And in that second half, he completed 13 of 14 passes. So they were just unstoppable, Kansas City was. For most of that second half, they scored on every possession. And the Eagles' defense just couldn't answer. Their offense was up to the task, but it was the Chiefs who came out in that shootout because Mahomes didn't make a single mistake. And Hurts had that one fumble that was returned for a touchdown. And that really ended up swinging the game. Yeah, of all the stats last night, and there were some really intriguing ones, that zero sack stat line for Philadelphia. They're, they had the third most sacks in NFL history, regular season and playoffs, and could not get to a guy who was technically on one leg. How did Patrick Mahomes do it? It's hard to say exactly. We knew that he was aggressively attacking rehab with his trainer, Julie Freimeyer. She did a really good job getting him ready to play against the Bengals. That two-week layoff before the Super Bowl was especially key, though, because he had much more mobility by the time this game began. And we saw it. He aggravated his ankle in that first half, and I think a lot of people, myself included, were thinking – hey, he's going to have trouble moving in the second half. That's when this pass rush is really going to get home. But Mahomes was able to stay mobile. He had that key 26 or 28-yard run late in the game to set up the game-winning field goal. And he just looked spry out there. Um, I believe what I heard before the game or what was being reported was that there was still some inflammation in that tendon. He wasn't 100%, but he was able to – just able to get enough mobility there that he could get the job done. And that really made a difference because when he can move around the pocket and scramble for yardage, it is very, very hard to stop him. I'm sure that ankle was really hurting as he was chugging down the field for that huge first down run. Jacob Carmaker is a senior content producer with the Sporting News. Joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as we recap the Chiefs' 38-35 victory over the Eagles in Super Bowl 57. Patrick Mahomes has two Super Bowl wins, two Super Bowl MVPs, a two-time NFL MVP. There's only 13 quarterbacks. He became number 13 last night in history to have two Super Bowl wins he's no doubt one of the best quarterbacks one of the best players of his generation already can he be considered one of the best all time right now I think it's fair to say that even with a small sample size you can argue that this peak he is having is on par with some of the greatest in NFL history now to reach the true pantheon of the greats like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Joe Montana those levels Uh, He's going to have to continue to win. He's going to have to continue to play at an MVP level. He'll have to get back to more Super Bowls and win them as he tries to chase down the greatest of all time. But I think it's fair to say that he is definitively the best quarterback in the game today. And he is an all-time great at this point. We haven't seen a start to a career quite like this. Uh, Tom Brady rivaled it a little bit, but he he wasn't an MVP-type player necessarily early in his career. He won a lot, and I think Mahomes is proving that he's an MVP-type player and is winning a lot. Now, the key to catching Brady is longevity, so we'll see if Mahomes can do that. But this second Super Bowl win was key in propping up his case as a, hey, this guy has a Hall of Fame resume already, and what can he do more moving forward? forward. Um, So I'm excited to see what he can do, but he's definitely one of the better quarterbacks I've ever seen in my lifetime. Safe to say that the Eagles, despite the loss last night, will be a force in the NFC. Do you you expect them in uh, a Super Bowl or maybe two down the road here in the next couple of years? I think they'll have a good chance of getting back to the Super Bowl. The one question is they're going to have to give Jalen Hurts a big money contract. Based on the way he's playing, he had a case for MVP this season. If he didn't miss those two games to injury late in the year, I think we would have had more of a debate of whether Mahomes or Hurts was the regular season MVP. 
Um, so once Hertz signs that long-term contract, though, the Eagles will likely lose some of their depth on this juggernaut roster. Now, I trust Howie Roseman, one of the best general managers in football, to continue to build this roster and just stack up depth and quality playmakers. But it will be interesting to see how they do once Hertz is off that rookie contract, because as we've seen, that's been a big advantage for teams, having a talented quarterback on a well below market value deal. But once Hertz gets to the market value, it's going to be harder to surround him with talent. So he'll have to elevate them. I'm confident he can do that, but it might be a little bit of a growing pain at first as we adjust to the, the new look Eagles. Only got about 30 seconds. We can't talk about the Super Bowl without reflecting on the halftime show. Not sure how much you saw of it, but what did you think? I thought it was very good. I thought Rihanna did a great job. Um, she had a tough act to follow. The 2022 Super Bowl had so many guests, and Rihanna went solo in this one. Thought it was strong. Uh, I wish that they could have dumped a lot of water on the field during Umbrella, but for obvious reasons, that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> but I, I give her a passing grade. That was entertaining and very well done. Jake, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us this morning. No problem, Rick. Thank you for having me. Jacob Kaminker is a senior content producer at The Sporting News, breaking down the Chiefs' Super Bowl win over the Philadelphia Eagles. Only 36% of you in our poll question on Friday said that the Chiefs would win the Vince Lombardi Trophy. 64% picked Philadelphia. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.